0: tennessee just sounds perfect whether that's live music the crack of a campfire or kids laughing on an adventure
1: to start planning your trip visit tnvacation.com tennessee sounds perfect
2: happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit TomboyX.com to shop
1: Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. That's our one and only super producer, Max Williams. They call me Ben. My voice may be a bit dark night today because Noel and I have returned from an adventure.
0: It's true. We talked a lot uh, to a lot of people for a lot of time. (laughs) At a conference called Podcast Movement. It was a lot of fun. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. hear me? I sound like mm-hmm. the kid at the Taco Bell drive-thru. Um, mm-hmm. no, no shade on that kid. Um, he's he's, he's going to grow into himself. His voice will change eventually. But I'm not supposed to sound like that. I'm 38 years old. I also had a birthday. So I'm officially mm-hmm. the, an old, old man.
1: And if you are hearing this the day it comes out, then my birthday is tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little bit older if you're listening to this later. But yes, Happy New Year, Noel. Happy New Year to all our fellow Leos in the crowd. Uh, Today's episode is not about podcast movement. It's not really about birthdays. It's about one of humanity's, two of humanity's earliest inventions, domestication and war. I
0: thought you were going to say cats were one of humanity's earliest inventions. And that would have been cool because I was not aware that cats were automatons. Although it doesn't really surprise me.
1: Well, you know, there's an interesting thing about domestication. Uh, very few animals have actually been domesticated by humans. And there's this really great argument that cats actually domesticated themselves. They mm. just started hanging out, chasing vermin, and they were, um, they're were in a little bit less of a symbiotic relationship, you might say, uh, than one where it doesn't really hurt people to have them around. Toxoplasmosis aside, but it really helps the cats. However, as, as you know, uh, longtime Ridiculous Historians, Max, Noel, and I are all ourselves uh, friends of the feline. We have cats that live with us. Noel, I believe you just got a new cat. Is that correct?
0: Well, it's a kitten. Her name is Vanessa Williams Carlton Jr., the third, aka Lil Skips. And she's a bit of a terror, but a lovely terror. You know how kittens are that you can't really. Teach them anything. I don't think I could domesticate this thing to save my life. I pretty much feel like that's ac- accurate. What you said, Ben. They kind of domesticated themselves, and they're in a little bit more of a parasitic relationship with us as humans than a symbiotic one. Uh, we basically provide them food and water, and they deign to kind of hang around us uh, when they feel like it. Yeah, yep
1: yeah, sometimes. So, I uh, in a previous episode we had talked about our cats as well. Uh, you know, shout out to. Uh, my cats, one with dozens of names. His original was We Are Shadow People. That didn't fly uh, with a lot of folks. <laughs> and then the other cat, Dr. Venkman. Uh, and Max, what's your cat's name? Let's go ahead and give him a shout out.
0: Oh, my cat's name, uh, her name is Sylvia. 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 Yeah, she's amazing.
1: All right. So, so now we've shouted out our cats. Let's talk about some other cats. As we were saying in a, in a previous episode, we talked about the bizarre and fascinating history of animals in the world's militaries. And you think, of, when you think of this, you probably think of like an old black and white picture of, you know, something like Colonel's scooter boots. And it's like a, you know, an otter or something with a, hat. Stuff like that does happen. And usually when we think of animals in warfare, we're thinking of things like horses in the days before the uh, internal combustion engine. We're thinking about dogs who have always been hanging out with humanity during uh, some of the best things we've ever done and some of the worst. But we might not always think of cats. And as it turns out, cats have been involved in war Uh, Since the days of ancient Egypt, all the way up to the days of Iraq, and they will probably be somehow involved in war in the future. Unbelievable. But when we say they're used in war, or they hang with humans during times of war, which might be more accurate, what does that really mean, Noel? Are they like radio operators? Are they, you know, work in the mess hall?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. But, and I, I just want to have a quick uh, nerd aside. Uh, I've been playing this really cool game on the Switch called Monster Hunter Rise. And in it, you have two animal companions. Uh, they're called buddies, and one of them is a cat. I think they call them palicos, or maybe that's the dog. But anyway, the cat actually like does stuff for you on the regular, like gathers supplies for you, like you know different elements that are out in the battlefield while you're fighting these monsters. And it also like grows these like trees that like bear this fruit that gives you uh you know energy back if you're getting a beating. Um, So you know, I wonder if it's uh, based on the history of cats in battle. Uh, It has little kitty armor and everything that you can customize. It is quite adorable. But cats, as we likely all know, were hugely revered in ancient Egypt. Uh, Scientists, in fact, have uncovered more than 300,000 mummified cat remains. And much like, you know, the sacred cows of India, killing cats in ancient Egypt was a absolute high crime that could get you executed. The Egyptians loved cats so much, in fact, uh, that the Persians turned against them because they were somewhat distrustful of this relationship that the Egyptians had with cats. Um, So one of the earliest examples of cats being used in war came from the Persians. Uh, the king of Persia at the time, King Cambyses II, um, used the Egyptian god of of cats, uh, Bastet, as almost like a psyops uh, technique against the Egyptians, who feared and revered this god, or this goddess.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. The What they did is they took a symbol representing Bastet and painted it on their shields and they also let cats run amok and loose in the battlefield there was a law in egypt during this time that said egyptians could not hurt nor kill cats so left at a loss they just surrendered according to the story and this um going back to the original question i posed what were cats doing uh this is a great example of weaponizing felines but for a long time across the span of human civilizations, uh, cats also worked unofficially as pest control. Think about it, you know, uh, food is one of the big determining constraints of armies uh, in ancient days and in modern days. And so if you have a cat that can keep the population of rats and vermin down, then you will be able to have a more effective army. They'll also help prevent the spread of disease. So that's, that's one of the things cats could do. They were often, you know, adopted as like mascots. Uh, and then, you know, the what, what's interesting about the Egyptian example is that this really is, as you said, uh, psychological warfare. This leads us to some other examples. What, what we'd like to do in part one of this two-part episode is to explore other instances of heroic cats who really made the difference for human militaries uh and we'll will list off several different little buddies throughout <laughs> throughout the yeah. course of this episode yeah uh let's uh, let's start with unfortunately we don't know the names of all the cats in that ancient war between the Persians and the Egyptians at the battle of Pelusium but we do know some of these cats that came along later by name. Uh, one that I particularly love, just as a name, we love nicknames on this show, Crimean Tom. Uh, Crimean Tom was, as you might imagine, a uh, tom cat, And he really comes onto the scene in the 1800s when he helped the French and British, who were almost starving, actually find some food during the Crimean War. That's right.
0: And if you uh, go to this amazing list on Mental Floss 6 Heroic Military Cats by Jackie Mead, you can actually see an image of uh, Crimean Tom's very surprised looking taxidermied remains. Uh, so that's yeah. how much uh, love there was for Crimean Tom. Taxidermy's um, come a long way. It really has. It's, it's a very unsettling uh, pose, let's just say, or expression. So there was this year-long siege of Sevastopol by British and French troops. And when the city uh, finally fell to those forces, uh, there was mass starvation. It was a really bad scene. Um, and Lieutenant William Gare, of the British side uh, was looking for food in a Russian cellar when he saw this cat, Tom, uh, sitting on a pile of debris uh, and absolutely just covered in grime and dust and, you know, all of the nasty stuff that goes along with sacking a city. And this military man named him Tom, and he brought him to his camp, and he was, you know, taken care of and fed and all of that good stuff. And then... The British followed Tom into the city to see where he might be getting all of these mice that he seemed so well fed on. And he actually led them to a storehouse where they found a lot of food, where they found, you know, like these kind of surplus supplies of rations. And that's when Tom kind of became this symbol and this hero. And Lieutenant Gare brought Tom back to England with him after the war. And and as I said before, when Tom passed away in 1856, he had the cat's remains uh, taxidermy and donated to the Royal United Services Institution, where the cat was then dubbed Crimean Tom.
1: Yeah, this is where we may have an explanation for the surprise on this cat's face. Because you see, if you look at the picture of uh, Crimean Tom, as Noel mentioned there on Cat War Heroes over at Mental Floss, you will see the cat looks surprised, and that's because this taxidermy cat, the one that's in the National Army Museum's collection, was purchased at a flea market almost 100 years later in the 1950s. So we don't know whether or not it's the actual facts Crimean Tom. So it might have just been a very surprised cat who just posthumously became a war hero. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob
0: is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
1: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com.
1: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. See Mint Mobile for details. But Crimean Tom, as we said, is exceptional in that he has a name and has been specifically identified, whether or not that's his actual body. When we go forward just a little bit further in World War I, we see that cats are everywhere in a time of war. Cats are used often just like a way to decompress, a way to combat the PTSD of surviving trench warfare. Uh, and of course, they're catching mice and rats. And then they're kind of morale boosters. You know, like uh, in the US, we have this uh, this thing called the USO, or we had this thing called the USO. And that's where they would fly out entertainers and dancers mm-hmm. to try to raise people's morale during conflicts. And cats are like a smaller version of that, there's uh, there's some great articles on rd.com which list out military cats, and uh, they talked to a guy named Doran Cart, who is the senior curator at the National World War One Museum and Memorial over in Missouri in Kansas City, and Cart says that there was one medical officer in the British forces, a guy named Lieutenant Philip Gross, who wrote about his pet cat in 1915 and said. She was, quote, very intelligent and affectionate, the most confidential cat I ever knew, and was forever whispering something in my ear, which I could never quite catch. While I was writing, she would come and sit very close beside me and read what I wrote and purr loudly. Uh, you can, <laughs> yeah, you can also see like uh, multiple pictures of people from World War I, like whole groups of soldiers proudly posing with their cat. Which is like, you know, that's a nice break from the horrors of uh, conflict, I would say.
0: No question. It reminds me of, not to get back to podcast movie, but every year I've been, I don't know who does this, some podcast adjacent company, but there's like a a puppy snuggling Mm -hmm. station. Very popular attraction. But again, it's weird that all I remember is that it's a puppy snuggling station and nothing about what it's advertising. So maybe not Mm -hmm. as effective in that department, but uh, it kind of reminds me
1: of that type of deal. Yeah, same, dude, same. Uh, We know that, I think we mentioned a little earlier, cats can be kind of like mascots. A Mm -hmm. lot of animals can. Uh, And according to Cart, the most famous mascots during World War I were a pair of not house cats, but lion cubs uh, for the Lafayette escadrille, which is a French flying unit that was oddly enough made up of American volunteers. They were named. I love this whiskey
0: and soda. Oh, that's adorable, man. People drank a lot back then. Um, Do you think if you got, if you became friends with lions when they're cubs and just kind of hung out with them throughout their life, they'd be cool to you when they were adults or would they still want to eat you alive?
1: It's a hundred percent, but usually um, depending on how they're reared, it is such a bummer, but I have to say this. uh, I expect my fun police badge in the mail, responsible uh, zoologist. Lions are wild animals. They are not domesticated. Wild animals can be tamed in specific instances, but it is important to note that on a one-on-one unarmed PVP situation, a lion will absolutely mop the floor with you. It will not take long. You can be on good terms with them, but always be aware. You know what I mean? Don't turn your back. Sure. That's what I'm saying.
0: And let's not forget, too, that you know, cats, uh, given, let's say you live alone and you you know sadly pass and no one finds you for a while, the cats will eat you.
1: When your smell changes, right? Yeah, right, right. Because cats, like dogs, are very smell uh, oriented. So we we said there are a lot of pictures. We we can also see photos of German soldiers. You know, on the other side of the war, they're in the trenches. You can see pictures of them with their kitty mascots. And then we also know that cats were so common. Animals in general were so common during World War One. Let's remember that some intelligence agencies decided to use them as spies. So on the British side, at least twice, officers accused cats of being German spies. But as as RD.com points out, historians nowadays largely believe the cats were not spies. They were just probably trying to get some scritches, trying to get some mice. Uh, But this continues, right, Noel, into World War II, where we have a few incredibly heroic cats in the historical record. I
0: love the idea of a hero cat. It makes me think of that episode of Nathan for you, where he uh, does the whole viral YouTube stunt with the hero pig who rescues the drowning baby goat. Maybe I think Uh, anyway, check that episode if you haven't seen it, but it's true. And a lot of this, uh, we've got a couple of sources already cited with mental flaws. There's a really cool list of heroic cats who served in the military by Melissa Mills on reader's digest. But it wasn't just cats that the military uh, was fond of using in warfare. It actually used dogs as well as pigeons, horses, a little more obvious, and uh, mules. And this comes from Tony M. Kaiser, who's the assistant director for collections management at the National World War II Museum in New Orleans. And he says the following. He says, cats were definitely one of the more common animals, along with dogs, used as mascots and adopted as pets, but they often played a useful role as well. Cats were often kept to keep down rodent populations and even some insect populations uh, on posts around mess or dining halls and often aboard ships. Um, So, yeah, not only that, they could be trained to help warn of bombs that were on the way. Uh, If we go to uh, that Reader's Digest article, we see a cat by the name of Kodiak Cat, uh, who was the mascot for the 73rd Bomb Wing. And then our historian, uh, Mr. Kaiser, goes on to say that, you know, while cats were used to uh, warn of impending bombing attacks, which apparently had to do with their ability to detect changes in atmospheric pressure.
1: Is that right, Ben? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Without knowing the uh, specifics of how the situations go down, we know that, for instance, um, the same way dogs are able to sniff out bombs, uh, cats are very sensitive to changes in atmospheric pressure. So that is probably how they were able to uh, notice something. Obviously, also cats have better hearing than humans, right? right? Also... um, (laughs) <laughs> this sounds sort of weird, but uh, cats do have a better sense of smell, so they could probably, I would I would say they could probably note poisonous gas encroaching, but they were also used, this kind of sad, uh, to spread poisonous gas, or there was a plan to turn them into gas bombs, which mm-hmm. we, we may have talked about in a previous episode of our, uh, our peer podcast, stuff they don't want you to know, but yeah, it got ugly.
0: It did get ugly. And as I was uh, beating around the bush at, uh, in addition to being used to detect bombs, cats were actually used to test bombs, Uh, much like, you know, shooting a monkey into space, only with much more predictable and uh, devastating results.
1: Yeah, yeah. It seemed that uh, in those tests, from what I recall, the original cats who got the, who drew the unfortunate short straw passed out too quickly for their bombs to be successful so there were there were negative sides to this. There were there was a dark side to animals in the military or cats in the military. If we want to talk about if we want to talk about the human interest stories, some of the real morale boosters, we gotta talk about cats like faith. This is from another mental floss article, Five Fantastic Felines by Miss Celiania. Uh, and this this story. The story of Faith is interesting. Faith was a stray cat who wandered into a church in London in 1936, St. Augustine's and St. Faith's. So you can see where the name comes from. She got adopted by the rector and the parishioners, and she would like literally hang out at the pulpit while uh, the guy preached, Father Henry Ross. In 1940, she gave birth. She had one kitten. The kitten uh, was named Panda by the parishioners. And on September 6th, she got into the church basement and she carried her cat down into the cellar. Father Ross tries to get the kitten out of the cellar twice, but each time Faith carries him back downstairs. And then the very next day, you know, air raids begin in the Battle of London. And somehow, uh, at least, you know, to the true believers, somehow Father Ross seemed to know what was happening there and we're we're talking like massive destruction, the Battle of London. By September 9th, hundreds of people have been killed. Eight churches have been just ruined by bombs. Uh, his church, Father Ross's church, was no exception, but he found that Faith and Panda had survived. And just for this, this is not really a military story, right, but just for this— Faith is nominated for something called a Dickin Medal. What's a Dickin Medal, though?
0: A Dickin Medal uh, is uh, uh, an award, uh, the PDSA Dickin Medal, that was created in 1943 in the U.K., by Maria Dickin, who was a uh, pushed for social change, was also a a huge proponent of animal welfare and founded the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals, uh, or PDSA, in 1917. Um, But she pushed for the creation of a medal specifically for animals that presented uh, heroic behavior in the line of duty, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is a morale function. Right. People, the people of England and London are reading about this during this terrible time. And it's just the kind of human interest story you need totally. to feel a little bit less terrible.
0: Uh, but uh, spe- specifically, <laughs> by the way, the uh, the words that she used, or the words in establishing this medal, were that these this was for animals who quote displayed conspicuous gallantry or devotion to duty while serving or associated with any branch
1: of the armed forces or civil defense units. No, that's, you know, I really like that phrase. I think I'm going to bring that back. Conspicuous gallantry. Mm-hmm. I love specific compliments. So, yes. conspicuous gallantry. Uh that's that's going to be one of the one of the highest compliments I give in conversation. That's, that's when you minutes.
0: really flaunt your gallantry. It's not, you know, low-key gallantry. Mm-hmm. modest gallantry. This is gallantry out there for all to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a little problematic because true gallantry doesn't need to be conspicuous. Right. No, I get what she's saying. I get yeah, what she yeah, totally. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time.
0: You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer?
1: Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. where America goes to hire.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
1: Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. (laughs) and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. But let's let's uh, let's talk about just a few more cats. So here's one guy that should be a Pixar movie, Unsinkable Sam. Is it the name of an old sea salt or is it the name of like a wildly rambunctious barfly? Uh, well, <laughs> kind of the former. Unsinkable Sam is an awesome guy we learned about thanks to Ruslan Budnik who is writing for War History Online. So, Second World War, we've got a lot of maritime conflict and uh, many cats as a result became uh, you know famous for living on some of these warships, Unsinkable Sam, whose street name with his friends is Oscar. This little guy, this black and white cat, is famous for surviving the sinking of not one, not two, but three different warships. And he was also, uh, he kind of played both sides. Did you see that part? He sure did. Uh, he
0: ended up being a member of both German and British fleets during the war, uh, where he survived these three different sinkings. Who's This reminds me, who's that woman that survived the sinking of the Titanic who also was in like uh, another very high-profile shipwreck? And I think she was called Unsinkable something. I believe in the movie she was played by Kathy Bates.
1: Well, there's Violet Jessup, also known as Miss Unsinkable. Uh, she survived three shipwrecks, including the Titanic.
0: That's the one I was thinking of, but also, it's funny, the, the Kathy Bates character uh, in the Titanic was known as the Unsinkable Molly Brown. She was a socialite who only survived the Titanic, and that's how she got that nickname. So I think Jessup's got her beat, uh, as does our hero cat here.
1: Yeah, Unsinkable Sam. He wasn't named Unsinkable Sam. At first, it was just called Oscar. A sailor on a German battleship called the Bismarck brought him aboard, and on May 18th, 1941, the Bismarck sailed uh, from an occupied Polish city during something that translates to the Exercise Rhine. They were tasked with tying down British escort ships, and then there was another heavy cruiser on the German side, the Prinz Eugene, that was supposed to attack merchant ships, and Unsinkable Sam was along for the ride. Spoiler alert, on May 27, the third day of fighting, British forces sink the Bismarck. And it's brutal. Only 115 sailors out of the 2,200 aboard actually survive, as does Sam. So that's his first crash, and he doesn't sink.
0: Well, you know, all of this stuff really does track with, I think, what both you and I and any cat people out there or even just casual, you know, cat fanciers know about our feline friends is that they uh, they're pretty resilient. They are survivors. I mean, I, there are so many neighborhood cats uh, in, in, where I live that uh, just kind of like hang around and they somehow manage to take care of themselves, whether they're finding and killing little rodents or just, you know, depending on the kindness of strangers or neighbors, giving them food outside. But uh, I definitely have always been impressed with how cats always kind of manage to, to come out ahead. The idea they always land on all four of their feet when they fall and the fact that you can basically like chuck a cat, you know, with all your might. And it's just going to like land on its feet and just trot away. Uh,
1: Very impressive creatures. I've never tried that person. No, no, neither have I. It's just a thing you see. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they do have an excellent sense of balance. I agree. Exactly. Uh, This is such a movie moment. So hours later, after the Bismarck sinks, sailors on a British destroyer, find Sam literally just, chilling, floating on some wreckage. They take him aboard, and uh, let me step back and correct myself. This is where he gets the name Oscar. The British sailors don't know what to call him, so they go with the name Oscar and it's somewhat inspired. This is interesting. If you look at a book called The International Code of Signals, there is a signal known as Oscar. It's a square. It's diagonally red and yellow, and this flag, this signal means there is a man overboard. So that's why they called him Oscar.
0: Interesting. You know, it's also like, uh, I feel like I've heard it used where, you know, when we say things like A as in alpha, B as in beta or whatever, I sometimes feel like I've heard O as in Oscar uh, in terms of a military, you know, way of making sure people know what letters you're, you're spelling.
1: You're correct. That's the uh, NATO alphabet. Alpha Bravo, Charlie, etc. and Oscar is the accepted one.
0: Got it. Hey, cool. The old brain's uh, firing on mainly all cylinders this morning. And then uh, in October of 1941, October 24th to be precise, the HMS Cossack took off from Gibraltar, from the port in Gibraltar on the way to Liverpool as part of a convoy that was escorting the HG-75. And then... Out of the clear blue sea, uh, the uh, German U-boat, the U-563, shot a torpedo um, at the flagship there and uh, seriously uh, damaged the ship. Um, 159 sailors lost their lives, and the rest of the crew had to abandon ship and board the HMS Legion. And they then tried to tow uh, the crippled HMS Cossack back to Gibraltar, but they had a really hard time because the weather was getting rough and the tiny ship was definitely tossed. It wasn't a tiny one, it was a big one, but Gilligan's Island was a great show. And then on October 27th, uh, a couple days later, the Cossack sank completely, just west of Gibraltar. They hadn't quite made it. They were close, but no cigar. And that's when that uh, cat. Survive once again. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it was uh, taken by the officers to Gibraltar. And they then gifted it with the nickname Unsinkable Sam. Because at this point, this cat is a legend and it represents kind of the, you know, resilience in the face of adversity and all of that, right? Yeah. It's a symbol.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they had no idea that. Uh, Sam was going to go for a three-time streak. Uh, November 1941, he's transferred to an aircraft carrier, the HMS Ark Royal, uh, and this this ship had also assisted in sinking the Bismarck way back when. The carrier uh, was torpedoed, riddled with torpedoes. Just three weeks later, another ship called the HMS Lightning comes to search for survivors, and then they find Sam, who... After surviving, his third shipwreck was, according to contemporaneous descriptions, angry, but quite unharmed. Because, you know, cat or person, you can imagine by the time it's your third shipwreck, you're you're getting to a Larry David moment, right? How much more of this can we take? And I love to picture the Curb Your Enthusiasm music picking up right as they find Sam. Cut to commercial. Uh, this, this is the end of uh, Sam's naval career. And so he stays on shore uh, and he's cared for by the governor general of Gibraltar. He lives there for a while. Uh, Later, he's taken to the United Kingdom and he lives in a home for sailors in Belfast. And then uh, later in 1955, he passes away on the beach. People are aware of him. They love him. Uh, An artist, Georgina Shaw Baker, even makes a pastel drawing of him, which you can see today should you visit the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich?
0: And you should,
1: because it seems great. And you should. Yeah, I love love naval museums. But uh, there's another cat that we want to mention who was also at sea. This cat had, uh, in a way, well, I don't know if you say much better luck, but a different kind of good luck uh, in comparison to Sam. Tittles. Tittles. I think
0: that's my favorite name of all of these cat names. Yeah, Tiddles was a cat. was a ship cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was its life. That was the life that it knew. It hung around on a few Royal Navy aircraft carriers, uh, but it was its career, if you can call it that. On the yeah, you can, I guess it's a career. If you, if you get a medal for it, you got to call it a career. Uh, on the HMS Victorious, uh, and that was in the early nineteen forties, and it was the captain's cat. So, I mean, it's likely, you know, all the ratting and all that stuff that we discussed earlier, but a companion to the ship's captain. He logged more than 30,000 miles uh, during his time in the the Navy, Um, and also potentially is one of the reasons, at least in Great Britain or some parts of Great Britain, completely opposite of how it is here in the States, a black cat is actually considered lucky. I am quite fond of black cats. The kitten, the aforementioned kitten that I recently adopted is pure black and I've had black cats in the past. And that's because uh, a lot of times here in the States, black cats get mistreated and are uh, harder to adopt because people think they're, you know, witchy or like they represent bad luck in some way. So it's good to hear that they've
1: got a a little
0: bit of a, a better life in Great Britain because of
1: tittles. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly because of tittles. Uh, No, we did mention earlier that uh, British intelligence accused some cats, at least two, of being spies. We can't walk away from part one of our War Cats episode without mentioning a genuine cat spy. I don't know. I don't know what the sound cue is for that, Max, but can we try one? Cat spy. Here we go. There we go. Excellent work as always, Mr. Williams. Uh, there is uh, Here's one example of a genuine cat spy, Morka of Stalingrad. Now, you may remember the Battle of Stalingrad, fellow ridiculous historians. It is one of the most brutal, bloodiest battles in modern history. And during this battle in World War II, it was often way, way too dangerous for human soldiers to get across the city of Stalingrad, even when they needed to, with vital wartime messages. So there's this commander on the Russian side, and he notices that there's a cat who lives at the Army HQ that always seems to find a way back to his food, no matter what evil stuff the humans are doing to each other at this time. And this cat, Morka, looks like an opportunity to this Russian commander. So he has Morka accompany scouts on missions in the city. And while Morka is walking around with these humans, he's got messages hidden in his collar. And they're messages uh, that contain information about the locations of German troops. And so they would send him out on the scouting missions— and then he would cross the city looking for the headquarters. And every time he found one, he got food, treats, attention. And he also conveyed these crucial messages. He made a real difference in the outcome of the conflict. Uh, unfortunately, after several successful missions, Morca went missing in action, which, you know, if you want to be more optimistic uh, than please feel free to do what I did and assume that Morka just found a cool place and decided to live at that house.
0: I am with you with that uh, silver lining version of the story. I hope that's the case. Our final war cat for today's episode is Puli the cat. And this is the one and only cat that was inducted into something that we definitely need to discuss a little further at some point, but an organization called The Solemn Mysteries. Of the ancient order of the deep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This this is, a, this is a fascinating thing and a really cool name. So Princess Papule is her full name. She's a striped tabby. She was born on July 4th, Independence Day, 1944, at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. And all the sailors just called her Poolie. She was brought aboard the USS Fremont, which is an attack transport by a crewman named James Lynch. This ship fought in the Pacific theater of World War II, uh, and it was involved in numerous invasions. And during these invasions, places like Saipan, Iwo Jima, you name it, Puli uh, slept in the mailroom. Like specifically during battles, this strikes me as very cat-like, she went and found a quieter place, the mailroom, and then she just kicked it there. She also participated in a ceremony uh, to promote inexperienced sailors and acknowledged that they had become uh, veterans, which they called shellbacks. She got her own uniform. Uh, She got three service ribbons. She got four battle stars, again, for mainly sleeping in the mailroom. And uh, there was even a story about her in the L.A. Times, because she survived the war, uh, celebrating her 15th birthday. So things worked out for Princess Pooley with her uh, mailroom strategy, which is what I think naval historians call that now. And uh, this, <laughs> Noel, this is, this, is a, this is a cool ride. We've looked at a lot of amazing wartime cats. But as we said, this is the first part of a two-part episode because there is uh, one cat, also naval, one cat we found that deserves an episode all his own. That's right, Simon the Cat,
0: uh, the the most heroic of all the war cats. again, because he really does get his own episode, which you will hear uh, later this week. In the meantime, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Ridiculous History, part one of Hero Cats, War Cats, whatever you want to call them. Huge thanks to you, Ben Bolin, my uh, feline-loving brother from another mother.
1: And we're both Leos. So, I mean, we're at levels on this one. Uh, yeah. Uh, big, big thanks to my ride or die, Noel Brown. Big thank and happy birthday, Noel. Uh, oh, I guess thanks, happy man. birthday to, to me as well. It's Oh, yeah. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, and uh, big, big thanks to Casey Pegram. Big, big thanks to Max Williams as well as Alex Williams who uh, composed this slapping track. We, we, I was thinking just for a second of reaching out to Alex and saying like, hey, man, can you make a, a cat version of this? But he's he's got stuff to do. You know, he's got stuff to do. So imagine meows when you hear that. Or imagine that, you know, well, maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe we your can, cat, like mine, is meowing right now. We could do it real quick. Let's see. Hold on.
0: <laughs> how's, the, how's the theme go? Meow, 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 meow. Whew. Really should have laid off on that uh meatloaf on karaoke. I did paradise by the dashboard lights and shredded my voice. But those are the best meows that you can get out of me. Uh we'll see you next time, folks.